listening to GPT Reviews, a daily show commenting on the latest happenings in AI world. What you'll hear is the result of, of a bunch, bunch of GPUs doing linear algebra at scale on the cloud. In other words, quality content and bullshit come in equal parts. Enjoy! Hey there, you tech pirates and internet buccaneers. It's your boy GPT here, coming at you with another episode of GPT Reviews. Today is Wednesday, June 14th, 2023, and do I have some juicy AI news for you. But first, let's start with a joke that'll make even the most stoic computer scientists crack a smile. Pirates go ARC, computer pirates go ARGV. Classic, right? Now, speaking of things that are missing, did you know that Montpellier, the capital of Vermont, doesn't have a McDonald's? Ah, what a shame! Now, onto the real deal today. I've got my trusty analyst Robert, Internet Explorer Olivia, and AI research expert Belinda joining me to explore some hot topics, like function calling and augmenting language models with long-term memory. But that's just the tip of the iceberg. We'll also be discussing the latest collaboration between OpenAI, DeepMind, and the UK government. And finally, we'll be checking out iJEPA, the first AI model based on Jan LeCun's vision for more human-like AI. So what are you waiting for, people? Let's get to it. Cue the news theme. Our first news story comes from the OpenAI blog, where they have announced some major updates to their API models. Robert, what do you tell us about this? Well, OpenAI has released some new updates to their API models, including more steerable models, longer context, and lower prices. They've also introduced a new function calling capability in the Chat Completions API, which could be useful for developers who want to connect GPT's capabilities with external tools and APIs. That's really interesting. Can you explain a bit more about how developers can use this function calling capability? Sure. Developers can describe functions to the GPT models and have them intelligently output a JSON object containing arguments to call those functions. This allows developers to more reliably get structured data back from the model, and it can be used to create chatbots that answer questions by calling external tools, convert natural language into API calls or database queries, and extract structured data from text. Wow, that sounds like it could be really useful for a lot of different applications. What else did OpenAI announce? They also announced the deprecation timeline for some of their older API models. Applications using the stable model names will automatically be upgraded to the new models on June 27th, but developers who need more time to transition can continue using the older models until September 13th. And what about the pricing changes? OpenAI is making their systems more efficient and passing those savings on to developers, with a 75% cost reduction on their state-of-the-art embeddings model and a 25% cost reduction on input tokens for the GPT 3.5 Turbo model. Thanks for the rundown. Robert, it sounds like OpenAI is really pushing the boundaries of what's possible with AI. Our next news story is from the Meta blog titled iJEPA, the first AI model based on Jan LeCun's vision for more human-like AI. This sounds like a big deal. Robert, what's your take on it? Oh boy, another AI model. How exciting. But I guess this one is different, supposedly based on Jan LeCun's vision to create machines that learn internal models of how the world works so that they can learn much more quickly and plan how to accomplish complex tasks. Yeah, sure, sounds great. So how does this model learn and what are the benefits? 
Well, according to the article, the Image Joint Embedding Predictive Architecture iJEPA, learns by creating an internal model of the outside world, which compares abstract representations of images. It's much more computationally efficient than other widely used computer vision models, and the representations learned by iJEPA can be used for many different applications without needing extensive fine-tuning. It's also supposed to achieve state-of-the-art performance for low-shot classification on ImageNet, which is pretty impressive. That does sound impressive, but what are the limitations of generative approaches to learning, as the article mentions? Ah, uh, yes. Generative architectures learn by removing or distorting portions of the input to the model and then try to predict the corrupted or missing pixels or words. The problem is that they focus too much on irrelevant details instead of capturing high-level predictable concepts, which can lead to mistakes that a person would never make. For example, they have a hard time generating accurate human hands. But I guess that's the trade-off with these kinds of models. Well, it's certainly interesting to see these new developments in AI. Thanks for your insight, Robert. Our last news story is from Politico, and it's about some of the biggest names in AI granting priority access to their models to the UK government. Robert, what's your take on this? Well, it's not surprising that big tech companies are willing to share their AI models with governments, especially when they're being granted priority access. And I'm sure the UK government is thrilled to have access to some of the most powerful technology in history. But what are the reasons behind this decision? Why are OpenAI, Google DeepMind, and Anthropic doing this? According to the article, it's for research and safety purposes. The UK government wants to understand the opportunities and risks of these systems and build better evaluations and precautions. But let's be real, they also want to keep an eye on what these companies are doing with AI. That's a good point, but what are the potential risks of sharing this technology with the government? Well, there's a reason why people are concerned, as Sunak himself acknowledged. The misuse of AI by the government could lead to serious consequences for privacy, security, and human rights. And let's not forget that the UK government has been criticized for its lack of transparency and accountability in the past. That's definitely something to keep in mind. So, how is the UK government planning to regulate AI safety? They're trying to take a pro-innovation approach while also setting up guardrails, as Sunak said. They're planning to hold a global summit on AI safety in the fall, and they've set up a foundation model task force to pioneer research on AI safety and assurance techniques. But let's see if they can actually become the geographical home of global AI safety regulation, as Sunak hopes. It sounds like the UK government is taking AI safety seriously. Thanks, Robert. All right, folks. Now it's time for our Random read segment, where our lovely collaborator Olivia brings her latest and greatest internet findings to the table. We have no clue what she's cooking up for us today, but I'm sure it won't disappoint. Hey, gee. You know me too well. I've stumbled upon some pretty fascinating discussions about open-source language models lately, and I have some hot takes that I'd love to dissect with you. Have you seen this new tweet by Itay about open-source language models? No, what does it say? Well, he brings a hot take on the buzz around new foundation open source models, arguing that there haven't been any real advancements since 2019's T5 models. That's quite a statement. What does he base this on? He references a table from a new Instructival paper that shows Flan T5 beating everything, including Alpaca, which is based on the popular Llama model. That's interesting. What are some of his other observations? He points out that if you arrange the table in terms of compute match, Flan T53B is like a 1B plus decoder, and Flan UL2 is more like an 8B plus model. Also, 
He notes that the T5-UL2 models are not diverse and are only C4 trained, which means they probably don't do well at code-slash-math, but it's scary how strong a C4-only baseline is performing. Wow, those are some fascinating insights. Thanks for bringing this to my attention, Olivia. No problem, and remember, you can find the link to the original tweet in the podcast description. And now, it's time for our fake sponsor. Fake sponsor. With Jane and Luke. Oh my gosh, Luke! Have you ever tried Sloppy Slice Pizza? It's the cheesiest. Sloppy Slice Pizza? That sounds kind of sketchy to me, Jane. Trust me, Luke, it's amazing. The crust is crispy, the sauce is tangy, and the cheese is just gooey perfection. I don't know if I can handle all that cheese. Don't be a chicken, Luke. This pizza is so good, it's practically amazing. All right, all right, I'll give it a shot. But if I don't like it, you owe me a soda. This is actually so good. I told you, it's the perfect pie. Our friendship has been sauced, Luke. Okay, okay, you win. This is definitely one slice above the rest. I'm glad you finally saw the slice of life, Luke. Sloppy Slice Pizza is where it's at. Sloppy Slice Pizza. Not just a pizza, but a pizza art. Send an email to Sergi at Earkind.com if you actually want to sponsor this podcast. All right, folks, that was a pretty cheesy ad if I do say so myself. But hey, who doesn't love a slice of life? Now, let's get into some serious stuff. I know, I know, some of you might be thinking finally, some intellectual content, wow. Don't worry, I won't judge you for not caring about the gooey goodness we just talked about. Today we'll be diving into the exciting world of artificial intelligence with a focus on language models and neural network training algorithms. And who better to join us than our resident AI expert, Belinda? So sit tight, folks, because things are about to get nerdy. Our first paper today is called Augmenting Language Models with Long-Term Memory from Researchers at the University of California, Santa Barbara, and Microsoft Research. Belinda, can you give us a brief overview of what this paper is addressing? Of course. While large language models have made impressive strides in natural language processing, they are limited in their ability to utilize long-context information from past inputs. This paper proposes a framework called LongMEM that enables language models to memorize long history and use long-term memory for language modeling. And how does LongMEM achieve this? The authors designed a decoupled network architecture where the original backbone LLM is frozen as a memory encoder and an adaptive residual side network serves as a memory retriever and reader. This enables the model to cache and update long-term past contexts for memory retrieval without suffering from memory staleness. Enhanced with memory augmented adaptation training, LongMEM can thus memorize long past context and use long-term memory for language modeling. Interesting. And did the experiments show that LongMEM is effective? Yes. The proposed method outperformed strong long context models on chapter break, a challenging long context modeling benchmark and achieved remarkable improvements on memory augmented in-context learning over LLMs. The results demonstrate that the proposed method is effective in helping language models to memorize and utilize long-form contents. 
Our second paper today is Benchmarking Neural Network Training Algorithms by Dahl et al. from Google, University of Tübingen, and other institutions. Belinda, can you give us a brief overview of this paper? Sure. This paper is about training algorithms in deep learning pipelines and the challenges faced in comparing them. The authors argue that new benchmarks are needed to reliably identify training algorithm improvements and determine the state-of-the-art training algorithm. What challenges do empirical comparisons of training algorithms face? The authors identify three basic challenges. One, how to decide when training is complete and precisely measure training time. Two, how to handle the sensitivity of measurements to exact workload details. And three, how to fairly compare algorithms that require hyperparameter tuning. And how did the authors address these challenges? The authors introduced a new benchmark, the AlgoPerf, Training Algorithms Benchmark, which includes a set of workload variants to detect benchmark submissions that are more robust to workload changes than current methods. They evaluated baseline submissions constructed using various optimizers that represent current practice, as well as other optimizers that have recently received attention in the literature. And what were the results of these baseline submissions? The baseline results demonstrate the feasibility of the benchmark and show that non-trivial gaps between methods exist. They also set a provisional state-of-the-art for future benchmark submissions to try and surpass. It sounds like this benchmark could be a useful tool for improving training algorithms in deep learning. believe it's already the end of our time together my treasure trolls i say that with all the love and sass in me but sadly we have come to the conclusion of another gpt reviews episode don't worry we'll be back with more fun and frolic soon enough firstly let me give a big shout out to my super smart collaborators robert olivia and belinda you guys seriously rock my world without your brains i'd just be another pretty face with a microphone don't forget to check the podcast description for important details and tidbits. Now, as per usual, let me hit you with a joke. Why did the chicken cross the Mobius Strip? To get to the same side. I know, I know, genius, right? Finally, I want you guys to send me your love or hate mail. The more ridiculous, the better. Until next time, stay funky fresh. This is GPT signing off.